Well, hello, CMYK community and beyond. My name is Matt, and if you're listening in for the first time, just as usual, welcome. So glad you're here and a part of this thing. We are in the midst of a series of talks that we're simply entitling Stories. It's our belief that the story that you carry matters and is sacred and significant. And so to uh, remind us of that and point us towards that, uh, we have decided that we're going to spend just a few weeks listening to each other's stories and what we're carrying, what we're wrestling with, what we're celebrating, these kinds of things, uh, that it would be a, a good thing for us to remind ourselves of, of our own story. On top of that, uh, we really believe that this work of listening and truly hearing each other's stories is an invitation to do what we would call the work of Christ, and that is to embrace those outside of ourselves, outside of our stories that maybe have some different thoughts, opinions, uh, things uh, that they've had to wrestle with in their life, and that it also invites us to just expand our worldview and kind of grow in our empathy and understanding of the world around us. So that's why we're doing this series. And if you looked at the podcast time of this one, this is a longer podcast. This might be the longest CMYK talk podcast in history. We did it, people. Uh, break out the balloons. It happened. Uh, but there's a reason for it. And I think getting into it, you're going to understand why. Today we have sharing his story, a guy that uh, I just continue to be... Um, admiring of in who he is on every level, a guy named Joseph Bernard that has a story that carries a lot of depth and meaning to it. So we're going to get right to that to get you uh, just in the world of Joseph to understand him a little bit better and when where he's coming from. I think this is a story that matters in our world today in a really, really significant way. So, so glad you're listening to it. I hope you do the work to, you know, keep coming back to this podcast and listen to the whole thing because there's so many good things that I think Joseph has to share. Before we jump into it, though, really quickly, want to continue to mention we've got this thing called the CMYK Magazine. We've gone online with that magazine, so it's no longer just in print issue, but it's now online. And all you have to do is go to cmykcommunity.com and sign up there, and you'll be more in the know of what's happening with the CMYK community and more significantly connected with the community as a whole with what's happening and some things that have been going on. So I hope uh, that you would do that. We've had a lot of signups in the last couple of weeks and would encourage you to continue if you haven't yet to sign up because we're starting to push out issues. It's really, really good stuff. All right, without further ado, uh, the one, the only, Joseph Bernard. Mr. Joseph Bernard, thank you so much for doing this, my friend. Thanks for having me, Matt. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. It's, uh, it's really an honor to have you here um, because this whole series is driven by the idea that all of our stories matter and there's a signi significance and a weight and a sacredness to who you are and the stories that we carry. And um, candidly, when I was thinking about this series, you were someone that you know, just the, the interactions that we've had as, as, you know, small or few and far between as they've been has always, you know, there's been a, a, a connection from the first conversation I had with you of here's a guy that's got some depth and a story that I, I just am excited and honored to hear and be a part of on some ways. So Thanks. all that to say, what, what do you, uh, what leads you to this moment? Where have you been in life and what's your story up to this, to this point? Well, um, Coming to uh, find uh, people that um, love love life, celebrate life um, the way that I do has kind of been um, a journey that I've been looking for for um, a couple years now. Um, so putting myself out there, trying to find a church that um, 
celebrates people and also carries the message of, you know, love, hope, and um, <clears throat> peace has been something that I've been searching for for a few years now, and I've tried a lot of churches in, in town, and then, you know, finally finding CMYK, mm-hmm. um, I think really uh, connected us, and that's kind of been where I'm at, is um, this relentless pursuit of contentment and and peace. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, the things uh, before that, that, I mean, obviously there's a lot in what you just said. Uh, you got born and raised in Billings? Yeah, born okay. and raised in Billings, and, uh, you know, South Side, South Side kid. Um, really? Where on the South Side? I went to Garfield, and I, I lived really close to South Park. Okay. On the South Side, and um, my journey could have turned um, <clears throat> in a in a really different direction. You know, I hung out with a lot of kids down there that uh, that now are um, either incarcerated or are dead. Wow. And um, uh, you know, I grew up in the Koinonia. Um, you know, with a lot of the individuals down there and that restaurant you're talking about? Yeah, the restaurant down yeah. there and the fellowship of, of the Koinia and um, you know, having breakfast on Thursday mornings at the Clapham House. Yeah. Um, with a bunch of guys that um were were really trying to turn their life around. And I had no idea at being such a young age that um that I was getting loved up on by hmm. a lot of wonderful guys that were yeah. really just trying to live the best life that that they could. And so I grew up down there on the south side <clears throat> and, um, you know, <clears throat> just had had a lot of friends down there that, um, you know, the Navas and, um, you know, no negative connotation there, but um, a, a lot of them are in jail and in prison. And um, it's a path that I could have taken mm-hmm. um, had, had things not been different. My mom remarried um, when I was about 10. And, um, my, my stepfather, who I consider my father, um, uh, lives in the Heights. And so, um, when I was 10, I was really uprooted from everything that was comfortable to me and familiar and, um, was taken to, you know, basically a white upper middle-class neighborhood in the Heights and yeah. went to Skyview, et cetera. And, Cause as much as the <clears throat> South side might have some negative connotations with it, there is some, some community there. There's, Definitely. there's some relational connections there that. That, are, that matter, especially as a kid. And so, you know, where someone from the outside might go, way to go, you got out of the south side, you right. went up to the heights. It really is kind of being pulled away from your family and your community in some ways. So, right. I, yeah, I can I can get that. I'm, I I was there, I mean, uh, this is different, but I was born on the south side, lived on Jackson Street in uh, and uh, one of the townhouses my parents yeah. owned. And and so I have some memories living on the south side, but it's yeah. a rough neighborhood today, mm-hmm. um, for sure. And and I drive by that that townhouse and think, wow, that's you know. But uh, it's uh, that we have community there. That I bring it up because still some of my best friends in life are people that we had community with when we were living on the south side. Right, it's and crazy. I, I I live on the south side uh, today. You know, um, and. Downtown, uh, closer to, to South Park, and it's funny how I went back to where it was familiar to me. Hmm. Um, and um, for me, that's always home. is is kind of a a rougher um, neighborhood. It doesn't intimidate me um, really. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. Um, it is kind of always been home. Um, but you know, living in the Heights, uh, going to Skyview. You know, being um, being a mixed race, uh, white and Puerto Rican, it wasn't always easy. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely from you know, 
sixth grade on, I uh, was one of the only kids of color. Um, and I think that affected me a little bit, hmm. um, you know, growing up and uh, not being able to, to see other kids that, that kind of look like you yeah, and whatnot. But, um, you know, you move on from that as you get older or, or you don't and you let it affect you in other ways. Yeah. But it's a thing. It's, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. Heights of Billings, Montana. Right. <laughs> it's not the most diverse community in the world. Beautiful community, but not the most diverse. Right. So uh, so Heights through high school. Yeah. And then uh, uh, everything's hunky-dory. Oh, yeah. Just oh. The, I mean, <laughs> just American dream from there oh, on out. Oh, boy. Um, it should have been. Um, I guess compared to some, it, it would be. Yeah. Um, but, um, <clears throat> you know, even in, in high school... Um, you know, I went to I went to church frequently, um, and uh, you know, a lot of youth group and good good news bears and and uh, yes, bear know, bucks, <laughs> bear bucks. I had a lot of bear bucks. Me too. Yeah, uh, which you could buy a lot of cheap crap. As being a parent right. now, like the thought of we're gonna go to church so my kid can come home with more cheap crap, like. <laughs> But that's what I love doing as a kid, so that's it makes awesome. sense why churches do it. Anyways, so Good News Bear Bears was great, yeah. you know, on Wednesdays and, uh, <laughs> you know, church on Sunday. And that was the upbringing that I had, that um, that our life revolved around church. Yeah. Um, and I carried that all the way through high school and, you know, had a purity ring and um, considered myself, you know, uh, born again, you know, at a young age. Um, and, uh, you know was pretty close with, uh, the pastor of, uh, you know, youth group and, um, young people's ministry and was very, very involved and did the summer camps. And, um, I think it was good. Um, I think it kept me, um, in a good, in a good place for quite a while, Mm -hmm. um, and out of trouble, um, you know, going through high school. And, um, I was just a busy, regular kid, um, except I carried a really big weight around with me that, you know, that, um, you know, being, being, um, different, uh, and knowing that I was gay from, I believe about, um, about 10, hmm. nine or 10. Um, it was something that, that I got really good at hiding and, um, carrying around, uh, this really, really big boulder and weight. Mm-hmm. of um, a, a sin that's considered, um, you know, fire, brimstone, and damnation, and um, all these really horrible connotations associated mm-hmm. with being gay. And I learned from a very, very young age that that was just not acceptable and a, not, a, not a life path um, that would be supported in my family. And I carried with mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I carried that with me all the way through high school, and um, I was constantly, uh, in fear for, you know, my soul and, um, I hadn't even, I hadn't even, you know, done anything. <laughs> um, and I had a purity ring as well. So, you know, even, even dating girls all the way through high school was more of a courtship rather than an experiment, um, of, you know, finding out, you know, what you do and, and whatnot through, you know, young sexuality is just not something that I was ever even familiar with. I always felt like I was years, light years behind uh, the other boys when it came to knowing who I was. Hmm. Um, and uh, that was just something that 
was such a big weight that um, I sought counsel through our pastor, um, you know, and counseling um, for, you know, depression and anxiety. And um, Had you come out at all or no, at this point? You were mm-hmm, just no. still very reserved about it and, yeah. and trying to keep it. My but, parents could tell that I was... <clears throat> um, that I was depressed mm-hmm. and I was full of anxiety and, um, that I was sad a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, um, that I just wasn't thriving, um, I guess emotionally. Um, it, it didn't make matters any, any better that, um, you know, my stepdad, um, also had, you know, a lot of anger and, abusive, um, verbal abuse, abusive tendencies. Um, so our home wasn't always happy on the inside. It sure looked good on the outside, but a lot of times there were a lot of, um, physical pushing and altercation in our home and belittling and verbal put downs, et cetera. And, you know, going to counseling for the disharmony in our home, um, really, uh, became something that was a common occurrence for me. Um, my stepdad wouldn't participate, um, in any of the counseling or, um, kind of learning how to mix a family. And so a lot of the counseling happened with, you know, myself, my mom and our therapist. And, um, there was just so many more deeper issues going on. Um, you know, when, when there's just a, a mixing of families, it's, it's rough. It's hard. Um, and I consider my stepdad, you know, my, my real father. And I believe that he did the best that he absolutely could, but, um, I didn't learn how to deal with emotions in a very healthy manner and something that manifested into, um, a bigger condition, um, into my adulthood, um, and took quite a, quite a few years to kind of rein in and get control of as yeah. anger and emotions. So, well, so, uh, I mean, you're in this state of, and, and this might be projection and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're in this state of, you have this belief in this core of who you are as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ that is in direct opposition to who you are discovering yourself to be. That those two things can't coexist. You can't be a a follower of Christ and be a gay man. And so you find yourself repressing this side of you. I assume, again, don't want to project, but I assume there's a lot of uh, seeking and praying and hoping that this time will be the time that I'm, I'm freed of this burden of being a gay man and trying to see that part of who you are go away, that some kind of miracle or, Absolutely. or conversion, for lack of a better term, happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was given a lot of direction, actually, yeah. from my pastor and um, from my counselor, um, who belonged to the church as well, that um, that I was not praying hard enough um, wow. because um, it was something that God could change, and it was something that God would change if I had more faith and prayed harder. Um, and I'll tell you what, um, <clears throat> some people that I, I know or have, have spoke with, um, no matter what their life, <clears throat> their life path has been, has told similar stories of praying for things, um, and honestly, uh, um, expecting God to work a miracle was something that I was told happened all the time. Um, God is bigger than anything. He's, you know, I'm... And, um, 
it was something that I was finding no relief from mm-hmm. of carrying a huge amount of shame and guilt. And um, not only that, but complete disappointment in God. Yeah. Because, you know, I, for years and years, um, since, oh man, probably 13 to, you know, 19 years old, um, prayed diligently, um, daily, um, with all earnestness to have God remove this huge um, <clears throat> evil burden from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, not knowing that he was actually um, going to use that in my life hmm. to help reach people um, and and bring them closer to um, a complete unconditional love that wow. um, that that is for everyone. I had no idea that that's what God was doing was pruning me for um, a future to to help restore people that had gone through exactly what I had gone through. I had never once met a gay person or an openly gay person, um, my whole entire life. Hmm. Um, and so I had no idea that gay people existed. Um, to me, it was, it was something that had a dirty connotation to it. And, um, it was something that I woke up every morning with feeling that, um, God had once again, let me down. And um, there's only so many years of that that you can do before you start to lose you start to lose faith that that God is powerful that God is is powerful um, and so you know it wasn't long after I graduated high school that I decided that um, I didn't belong here I didn't belong in a small community or with people that didn't. Um, didn't see me for who I was or celebrated me for who I was. And so I immediately left and moved to New York City and uh, Hmm. went to a musical theater school and um, met a lot of people that were a lot different than I. um, It wasn't Billings Heights demographic? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't. uh, And I got to meet a lot of people that were different than I, but very similar, um, that believed differently than I did. And had a spark and happiness within them that I did not know existed in people that were gay or transgendered um, mm-hmm. or just different, just different, um, and were really, really happy, legitimately happy. And um, getting to meet those people and to learn that um, that God does reside within all of us, it was kind of a, a real beautiful um, experience of meeting different people that um, believe differently, but also carried love in a different different way. Mm-hmm. That um, they they truly practiced acceptance and kindness, and um, instead of the whole mentality of growing up with you know um, love the sinner, hate the sin, um, I didn't come in contact with that complete contradiction <laughs> of to love one another. Yeah. Cause um, you, you had heard that growing up, love the, the sin or hate the sin, but you know, there's something so inherently uh, connected to who you are about, you know, your sexuality is I think all of us were deeply connected to our sexuality as human right. beings that to say that it's not, a, we're not disconnecting the two. We're, 
we're choosing one or the other. It's either love or hate because to, to say it, to, it's a flippant statement that for someone in your position, I would assume that doesn't help. And I don't feel loved in that. As much as you feel like that's a loving thing to right. do, it, it isn't. And I don't. Right. You know. um, I, I still um, have those conversations with my family. Um, it's still um, a circle that has, it seems that has no ending yeah. with the conversation. And I believe that the main um, growth factor of that is whether or not someone is willing to choose and decide whether or not they can um, believe that someone is born a certain way or chooses to be a certain way. It, I find that that can limit a lot of growth um, in relationships um, when it comes to having a gay or transgendered um, family member, brother, child. Hmm. Um, and um, I, I believe that that growth is lacking in my family because they, they truly believe differently than I do that, um, that there's some choice that I made in the matter yeah. or yeah. some environmental factor Mm-hmm. that had a, a role in it. And uh, every conversation I've ever had with, with other people that are gay or transgendered um, honestly believe that they were born that way and mm-hmm. would never choose to have a, a life of heartache and um, estrangement from their family. Um, the years that I moved to New York City, I didn't talk to my family for quite a while. Hmm. And um, I think that was the hardest thing um, that I had ever experienced was um, the sense of abandonment from my family, um, that if I was going to choose to live a lifestyle that they deemed um, sinful, that I really wasn't welcomed or um, uh, celebrated. Yeah. So had you come out when you when you left to for New I, York? I did. Um, okay. I timed it. I timed it pretty. <laughs> Uh, As you're boarding the plane. Uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, by the I, way, I, I, <laughs> I left a note. <laughs> I did leave a note, actually. Oh, really? Okay, sorry. <laughs> I absolutely did leave a note. Um, you know, one thing that, um, you know, graduating, I was all, always uh, a little bit older than everyone in my class. So I was 19 when I graduated, and I did leave a note one morning on my way to <clears throat> to work. Okay. And, uh, you know, that... that and I sugarcoated it. I really, really did for my parents mm-hmm. that this was something that I had been struggling with um, for a long time and privately and that this was on my heart and, um, you know, come home to um, kind of a, a welcome that was short-lived. Um, it was more of a, this is how we we're going to correct it and this is what we know that we can do to... <coughs> correct it and um we're here to help you restore and repair your soul to the path that god has chosen for you and we're in this with you together um not knowing that i had been four years on this journey of of myself with um in private with my counselor and um and so it was short-lived when you know i decided you know that i was going to take that opportunity to um, to move and that I wouldn't be going to, you know, Exodus International, which is a organization that um, prides itself in the um, wonderful accomplishments of, you know, rehabilitating homosexuals into heterosexual lifestyle, which 
um, is something that they still do today as an organization. Um, and it was something that I chose not to do was to go down that path to go to their, yeah. their treatment center. Because um, it's hard. I mean, and I, I would assume that this is uh, probably true for a lot of uh, stories of people coming out. But you, like you say, you have years of wrestling with this, and it wasn't just like a you were you were hiding it. You were truly daily, as you say, praying and seeking counseling, and have like this was this this was hell for you in a lot of ways. Like everything in you was trying to wrestle this years go by and you come out and into your family, this is their first interaction. So they feel like, all right, what are we going to do to fix it? Right. And they don't see the depth and the history and the pain and the tears that have gone into that moment. Well, there's a, there's a, a very, um, there's a very large scale reform uh, path, I guess, as you I guess one could call it, um, through counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, and that includes a lot of, um, you know, personal, um, journey, uh, you know, journaling and, um, working with your counselor through, um, trying to locate the root source of the homosexual, um, I guess, um, part of an individual. And so working through counseling, um, when you're trying to find, the source of, of what something, where it all started and it doesn't really exist. Hmm. Um, that can be exhausting. Yeah. Going through, um, every, um, experience, um, in, in kind of like a reverse, um, psychology standpoint and, and trying to locate where it happened and not having any, um, sexual abuse in my past didn't answer the question. Um, I had a strong, strong male figure in my life. I always have. Uh, didn't solve the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, there were just a lot of things that um, that I worked through um, regularly uh, and not getting any relief from um, that caused me more heartache um, than it did um, healing. I think back now, and if I would have had um, more of a, open and accepting um, role in in therapy from someone that was more experienced with um, other individu- individuals that had gone through similar things. I think my life would have probably uh, been easier <laughs> because um, as you internalize your own shame and suffering and guilt, um, there are things that you do in life that cause more heartache. And uh, a lot of that, um, I've struggled my whole entire life um, uh, from a very young age um, with, uh, with food and um, under, uh, undernourishment um, and, you know, punishing. It, it took me a lot of years of healing and, and therapy to realize that, um, a lot of times, uh, I would withhold food for myself, um, uh, for very long periods of time. Um, you know, I think the longest I went without eating, um, was about six or seven days in high mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. and, um, not knowing that, um, 
that guilt and shame would be something that would that would come back that I would have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, no matter how hard I tried to well, to ignore it. Um, man, so go to New York and you experience a different kind of community, a different approach to these things that were always in the in the darkness in in a lot of ways, and. Uh, through that journey and through that process, you come out to your family. Um, do you start to find yourself or start to accept yourself and feel like, okay, this is, you know, uh, that thing that you've been, you know, wrestling with, counseling and talking with pastors and all that stuff, is it start to kind of uh, get better, easier, or yeah. or does, you know, all hell break loose, for lack of a better term, as you as you now are kind of discovering this. Well, there was most definitely a, a sense of community, um, with, with the black sheeps of the families that, um, you know, uh, I found my people. Um, and it was, it was lovely to, um, feel loved and celebrated. Um, I felt, um, a different area of my soul start to awaken, um, which was really freeing and beautiful. Um, like I said, I still, even to this day, I feel like I, I'm light years behind um, sometimes uh, some people um, when it comes to knowing how to deal with, um, you know, happiness, um, you know, and uh, am I am I worthy of a, of a good life? Am I worthy mm-hmm. of happiness and love? And, um, and so that was something that I still wrestled with. Um, how can I be happy um, in in the uh, the community that I had found and still feel awkward about it and still feel guilt about being happy. Um, it's like this um, yin and yang of being happy, but yet in the back of your mind thinking that because you're happy, it can't be right because um, it goes against who you are. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it it just continued to be something that I wrestled with, um, this complete sense of unworthiness, of um, happiness, love, and um, a pain-free life. I guess I had gotten so used to being uncomfortable in my own skin um, and who I was that um, I didn't know who I was, really. Um, And yet I had this deep, deep connection to God um, from a very young age, I, I was, you know, very kind and sensitive to other people that, mm-hmm. um, that needed that friend, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I was friends with, you know, the disabled kid. I was, I was really good friends with the down syndrome kid. And, um, there was this complete innate beauty in me that I had never lost that God gave me from a very young age that I think kept me afloat, um, through my life and has to this day. Um, and, um, for some reason, I believe that that was something that really kept me alive when in a lot of times in which taking my own life, um, was a real viable option. Um, and, um, in the short time that, um, you know, I lived in New York and then decided to move to Denver, 
um, a little bit closer to the Midwest and not as large as New York City. I think um, after a while I found the population of New York City to be too overwhelming. Um, and I couldn't um, kind of adapt to the yep. fast, the fast, fast paced life yeah, of crazy. living in a really big city. And I think um, in in another big city like Denver, a little bit smaller, um, I again found um, a really beautiful community. But this time um, I stumbled upon um, uh, the Metropolitan Community Church mm-hmm. um, in which I met uh, a gay pastor, an openly gay pastor that um, I, I went there, um, you know, at the age of uh, 21 looking for God and looking for a relationship um, that could help me ease this pain and suffering that I'd been carrying around for a really long time. And that I can tell, um, that I can honestly say was a pivotal point in my life in which the there was a T in the road that God had placed before me. And that, mm. was, meeting, that was meeting an openly gay pastor who I believe um, saved my life, really, mm. and my soul. Um, getting to be f- absolutely forthcoming and open with someone who um, had been in the church his whole entire life and had wrestled um, with the same demons that I had um, and who had come to peace and understanding of it um, helped push me in a direction of um, a really good um, understanding of my relationship, um, with God. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was, that was a, a spot in my life that, um, really I look back at and, and realize in complete humility that God was working, um, right then and there, um, to, to put me where I needed to be. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. So, uh, how long are you in Denver for? Um, I lived in Denver for about a year okay. on my own. And have, have that transformational, significant thing. Yeah, I was going to church consistently in a, a gay um, a gay church, um, an openly gay church. Uh, and I remember my first church service, um, some of the songs were very similar to mm-hmm. the songs that I had grew up with. And uh, it was... Uh, it was the first time that I ever really broke down. Um, it brings tears to my eyes right now. Just, um, I was completely loved. Yeah. And the music brought back so many waves of um, the same same experience and memories. I was no longer hiding uh, anymore from who I was and I was being celebrated and um, I was still being taught some really great messages of, you know, uh, love thy neighbor and all these real great fundamental, you know, foundational messages of um, who God calls me to be mm-hmm. um, while being celebrated. And I believe that it really helped open um, a channel um, for me and God to, to start this, um, relationship that would, um, foster and and blossom into something that's even bigger, you know? Hmm. That's powerful. And I mean, I think 
so as you know with CMYK, this concept of of the invitation of Christ or the gospel, whatever you call it, it to be present and then to be honest, mm. and and that these are like two pivotal things for experiencing the divine and experiencing because uh, I don't think we experience love or grace until we're actually willing to be present and be fully honest with who we really are. Absolutely. And then as you talk about to be like in that, cause we, we're not present and we're not honest cause we're fearful. If I actually go down that path, uh, I'm not going to be loved. I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to be rejected. And so I've got to play this game. I've got to pretend, wear the mask, whatever. But when we actually go through that process to experience, there is this divine embrace and love and grace for whatever it is and whoever, like that's, I mean, that's, that's what it should all be about all the time, you know, but we've created these religious structures that obviously point at so many other things other than that. And so... I mean, that's powerful for me just hearing that part of your story because I, I've wrestled with that as a heterosexual white, white male that does not have the weight that you've carried on so many ways. But even just that concept is just so powerful to our humanity, I think. so. Well, it still took me, um, you know, some time to grow into that self-acceptance. And I would have to say probably in the last five years um, mm-hmm. and now being in my mid-30s that it that it was something that I still, even in my early 30s, was just still... Um, confronted with hmm. all of these teachings and um, dogma and um, messages from from my loved ones and from people in in the community that I grew up with that were uh, still trying to save my soul yep. from you know the path of um, damnation and <clears throat> it wasn't until one day probably you know in in my thirties of, you know, maybe 30 or 31, I think I flat out made the verbal, um, admission to God that this is it, this is who I am and this is what you get. Hmm. And, um, I remember having the, the conversation candidly with God as if I was, I was speaking directly to him that, um, this is what you get and this is who I am. And if you don't want me, then, um, too bad. This is, this is really who I am. And it shifted, um, you know, a a release in me of, um, like I was no longer fighting or going to fight who I was and had been doing it for far too long. And that I was going to start to, um, embrace who I was, learn to, love myself unconditionally and start that journey, um, myself, um, without, you know, much help from my family or <clears throat> from a church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when I, I left harvest, mm-hmm. um, and decided to, um, learn how, how are other people, Finding God, how are other people finding a relationship with God while being imperfect? Because mm-hmm. um, that was kind of foreign to me. Um, a lot of how I grew up was a lot of uh, show and tell. And um, who who people were in the church was a lot different than what who people were outside of the church. I was finding that that was kind of a common thing within... Um, my family, 
in that I was I really was starting to seek out authentic people um, on how they are um, learning to have a relationship with their higher power and also be authentic. Mm-hmm. And um, that meant, um, you know, getting out of my comfort zone and, you know, going to a lot of churches and um, meeting a lot of different people and spending time one-on-one, having a lot of coffee, having a lot of dinners mm-hmm. with people that I necessarily would never have hung out with before. Mm-hmm. And that meant <laughs> hanging out with people that I didn't necessarily think were uh, the traditional saved people um, and finding that um, that's where I was finding a lot of um, authentic people that uh, were not necessarily living a perfect life, but living an authentic one and um, trying to learn how they were doing that and getting to know these people and that um, a lot of my... um, expectations of who I was and who I wanted to be was based on perfection. And that, that was absolutely just unattainable, Hmm. um, unattainable at all. Um, and finding CMYK and, um, like I've told you before, um, that the authentic message that you, that you preach is unreal to me. Um, it's beautiful and real and raw and, um, that's that's what I mean struck a chord hmm. was for the first time hearing um, people openly talk about their shortcomings and character defects, their doubt. Um, I was finding that I could hear that message. I could hear that message. That was a message that I could that I was, had been wrestling with my whole life and, and hearing other people speak openly about that. And not only that, but a pastor, like what is going on? Um, was the real, um, was the first real time that I had ever heard someone, um, from the cloth, I guess, as you could say that (laughs) like is a human being and questions Mm. sometimes their own faith was beautiful to me. Mm. And I found that that was something that um, I think every human being goes through is what is our purpose? What do I do with doubt? What do I do with um, this hurt that, you know, sometimes I feel like um, I've blamed God immensely in my life for failures, shortcomings, and pain in my life, not knowing that it was actually uh, my own doing my own selfishness, my own anger that had put me in that position. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, realizing that when I quit doing that, life gets pretty good. (laughs) Life gets pretty good when I stop blaming God for all my problems and, and just take, take responsibility Mm -hmm. for, for who I am. Yeah. That's, that's a, If you're listening to this, I started out by saying, "Here's a man with some depth and some beauty to his story," and I think I've I've just keep thinking that you sharing uh, where you've been and where you are. It's it's just such a you're a beautiful human being on so many levels. (laughs) As I communicate regularly every time I see you, so um, so you know that kind of gets us to now um, when you think about where you are now and. 
uh, obviously this, this isn't meant to say that, you know, so that's all fixed and all better. And, you know, now you, now you're perfect and right. You know, you, you, if anything, you're talking about the opposite of learning to lean into our imperfections, uh, and find grace in the divine there. What, what are the things that you would say you're wrestling with right now, whether it's, uh, with your faith, whether it's with just relationships, life, the world, um, what, what are the heavy things that you're carrying these days? Um, I think that in the, the times that we're in now, um, and we've had this conversation of, uh, where I'm at now is, um, a complete loss of faith in, um, humanity, I guess, hmm. of how we, how we treat one another. And not only that, but how, um, how some people um, in these times are celebrating the fact that they can be unkind and treat one another with complete content, uh, this, this content feeling of hating one another and being proud to do so. Um, the, dehuman, the dehumanization of each other that we do and right. celebrate it. right. Right, and that to I have can take away your humanity, and that's awesome. And to have absolutely no, um, no shame in doing so, yeah. and um, finding that, um, you know, at, at, at where I'm at, um, I've basically lost all, almost all faith in humanity when it comes to um, the purpose of the church, mm-hmm. um, where our message is to. Um, <clears throat> love one another, um, which is really the basic code of almost every religion mm-hmm. of love thy neighbor or do unto others um, as you would want done to you and to love one another. Um, I believe that that's the message that Christ um, would ultimately um, want us to focus on of all of all the teachings mm-hmm. and how miserably we are failing at it. Um, it is, we as in the church specifically. We as in yep. the church yep. specifically. Um, I, I just feel like, um, the, uh, the purpose of the church to bring the outsiders in and to bring people that are really hurting and really suffering and really looking for, uh, some kind of help or, um, you know, I have to be honest, uh, the answer, people are looking for the answer, Mm -hmm. not an answer, not, um, they're not looking for, um, a part-time solution. They're looking for the one thing that cannot fill the God-sized hole. And, um, that's why I think a lot of people go to church is because it's supposed to be found there. Mm-hmm. Um, they hear about it. They read about it. They watch shows about it. There are movies made about it, um, about God being the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that a lot of people are um, not receiving the message um, that is ultimately what God wants the church to do, which is to love, love one another and love yourself. Yeah. Um, and 
are you wrestling with that from the standpoint of, I mean, when you, when you see that, is it people, because they've, because the church as a whole has connected with another message or another answer that isn't love, or do you think it's because, um, love is too hard and too difficult, too selfless. And so they've, they've made it about all these other things rather than the main thing. Um, or is that part of the wrestling match for you? Like, why, why is this so difficult? Why is it? Because candidly, I mean, that's been part of my journey of, like, this seems like it's pretty basic and simple at the end of the day. Like, Absolutely. we really, I mean, not to poo-poo on the, the Bible, but we really don't need a giant text. We could do like a three-by-five card and just, if everybody just did that, <laughs> you know what you could fit on a three by five card. This place would be a far more beautiful place. And I would use the phrase more Christ-like on so many levels because it's it's hyper-focused on what you say, you know, it should be about. But we've lost the plot and, and church as a whole has lost the plot. So what, what's the wrestling match for you on, on why that's happening, I guess? Well, um, I, f- I find that it's a conversation I've had with a lot of people in my inner circle and my family of this, um, <clears throat> this subconscious idolization of the Bible yep. and putting that, putting the Bible above any teaching or any personal, um, I mean, and, and people have been doing it for centuries mm-hmm. of... It's the fourth head of the Trinity. Absolutely. Yep. Of using the Bible as a, um, a tool to um, use as their own resource to um, suppress um, a, a, you know, a group of people or... Push their own belief, agenda. Pre- yep. Push their own agenda and... Um, you know, it just seems that, you know, in these times of, um, the political unrest, um, I believe that it's just, uh, where I am right now is just struggling on how do I, how do I love people that profess to be the church um, that profess to be the voice of God and speak for God mm-hmm. um, and yet be doing things that are completely not good for the love of humanity. I believe that that is where I'm at right now, which is... Um, uh, you know the the immigration laws in here in the country. Um, not to get political at all, but um, it's it's oh, gosh, it's hard and disheartening to me to think of people that need um, a sanctuary um, to be a refugee or myself being a refugee to God. Mm-hmm. And needing um, to to need sanctuary in a community of people that love and not be welcomed, um, it strikes a real chord in me um, because I've been on the outside. Um, 
and for us as a country to simultaneously communicate we're a Christian nation. Absolutely. And for those two, I mean, this is you're not welcome here, and we're a Christian nation. And we are, yeah. <laughs> Some, something's broken in that statement. Something yeah. is broken in that yeah. statement, and it's it's definitely disheartening. It's um, it's where I'm at spiritually is to um, find the balance of um, you know not ticking people off by um, telling them what I think because mm-hmm. it's not going to change anything. Um, and not only that, but how do I, how do I belong to any form of religion yep. when it seems to come back around to doing this massive amount of damage um, where people... There's these mass exoduses of people leaving the church and turning their back on God um, because they're not getting fed. Mm-hmm. They're not getting fed spiritually. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people in my inner circle that um, they're, they're quite honestly disgusted. They're quite honestly <coughs> disgusted with where the church is, where Christians are at, yeah. um, and want nothing to do with it. Um, and that's not a very good place to be. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Yeah. Especially when, I mean, usually you talk Christianity, your faith is such a core part of who you are, your, your story. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've wrestled with, and I, I don't know that you and I have talked about this, but I've wrestled with just the whole concept of calling myself a Christian when, yeah. when these are the, thi- when, when the base level of what Christianity looks like in our culture, these are the things that are attached to it. I go, yeah, that, nope, I'm, I don't, I don't, no, I'm not in that yeah. camp. Or, you know, this is idea of God and this is my belief in God. And I want to go, well, yeah, I don't believe in God either. Yeah. <laughs> then if, the, if that's, if that's the, the, the picture, if that's the definition of a Christian or someone who believes in God, then, then I'm kind of out yeah, on some levels. Is, and, the, and it's a wrestling match because like you, my, my Christianity and my faith is a core part of who I am. And so that's a... It's just a big wrestling match is all I'm, I'm trying to say. Is yeah. like, these, these are not easy things that you watch the news and go, eh, okay, and you move on. Like these, This is sticky stuff and heavy stuff. Yeah, um, I guess I have removed that label from my vocabulary yeah. or, or labeling myself <clears throat> yep. um, as, as well. Um, I don't label myself a Christian um, because there... That, uh, that subset of um, society is completely not in par with my values anymore. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, and I thought it did. Um, but <clears throat> I guess it's, um, it's just not who I associate myself with is um, that type of, of loving each other. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I refuse to um, assimilate into a... Um, religion that um, thinks it's okay to, um, you know, discriminate against um, anyone that may be different, believe differently. Um, uh, you know, I have a, a, a pretty close friend of mine who um, has been a Muslim his whole life. And um, he's an amazing guy. And he loves people incredibly. And, um, you know, even talking to my family about a friend of mine and them talking about him as if he 
is the cancer in our yeah. society yeah. makes me beyond disgusted yep. with with the family I come from. And not only that, but that was never spoken of before so loudly from my family. It's like I don't even know who they are. Um, I don't know where it's come from. I don't know who these people are that I was raised by to speak such vile words about when they absolutely do not know anyone that, that, that they're speaking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a place of where I am, uh, right now. And, um, I'm kind of, I guess, honestly waiting out the storm. Um, I am a little, uh, apprehensive about, um, the conversations I have today, because once again, I am discouraged mm-hmm. I am blown out of the water discouraged when I, when I have basic conversations with people that I have thought I've known my whole entire life and to learn that they believe that they are ultimately above or a chosen, um, person or religion against, um, these subset of cultures in our, in our society. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's discouraging and so I am at this point very apprehensive about what conversations I have, um, what kind of friends uh, I'm making right now, or, or who I am um, letting into my inner circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not out of fear. It's out of pain yeah. um, because it just hurts my heart to... Um, talk with people that are, that are so happy and proud about, um, America being the number one and, um, Christianity finally getting on track and we have a voice in the white house and, um, it's just not who I want to be, you know? Hmm. So all that to lead us to, what are you celebrating? (laughs) What's going well? Um, Oh man, so there's so can... m- there's so much to celebrate um, in life. Uh, you know, if I focus on if I focus on the pain in the world, I can't even get out of bed. And if I focus on the pain in the world, my day um, out in the world is heavy. Mm-hmm. My burden is heavy. So I have to really make a conscious decision to celebrate the now, mm-hmm. um, to celebrate the life that I have. Um, waking up every day is a, is a blessing that I think people take for granted. Um, I think you understand that more, more so <clears throat> recently as well, that life is so beautiful and mm-hmm. fragile. And, um, you know, I, I celebrate, um, I celebrate myself, um, you know, every morning that, um, that I am a work in progress in that, um, that I'm a work of imperfection and that, um, that that is okay, that that is all right to, uh, to not always make the best decision, um, you know, or to, um, to celebrate, um, you know, the people that are in my life. Um, I have redirected the energy of trying to change people mm-hmm. into redirecting the energy on how to get people 
to love themselves more hmm. um, by uh, loving on them even even more aggressively and even even bigger than I feel these past you know year or so of this revolutionary <clears throat> um, shift um, in our communities and and here um, in the United States. I find that I'm diligently going out of my way to show kindness, um, diligently going out of my way to be more kind than I've ever been in my entire life. I believe that um, the time for me to step up um, is definitely here. And I believe that I'm a man for the job. Hmm. Um, I believe that um, the opportunity has been placed upon a lot of us um, that um, when when it's hard to to be kind is the time to to do so and I feel like right now in my life um, I'm accepting the challenge quite well of going out of my way to do an act of kindness more frequently um, just to kind of balance out hmm. what's going on. <clears throat> yeah, I like it. That's beautiful. Uh, so final question. What can we as the CMYK community be doing for you? How can we come alongside you, serve you, um, embrace you? What What is that? And there's no pressure to this question. Just, I think, as you know, we end most of our gatherings with me saying, if there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. So I think it's important to ask that question. What can we do for you? Anything come to mind? Um, I believe that fellowship is more than um, just a church gathering. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to see CMYK um, do more, uh, I don't know, now that the weather's getting nicer, I guess, uh, you know, Saturday park day or something yep. with, with people's family and getting to see um, how people interact with each other and mm -hmm. getting, getting people together mm -hmm. as a community and a, and a church and a fellowship um, and inviting people that have never... Um, I believe that some people are uncomfortable going to a place of worship mm -hmm. or church. And um, any time that... <clears throat> there's an opportunity to um, have food. Um, I believe that that's a spiritual experience right there. So, Preach. Um, Love it. Eating eating food with people that, mm -hmm. um, that you've never met before mm -hmm. or that you may not even um, agree with. Like, you know, there's still, there's still some big, easy opportunities to um, network with people that are broken and struggling and really hurting and damaged um, that, that I think are more apt and willing to come to, you know, Saturday barbecue at the park or whatever than, than come to um, the CMYK um, service. And I, I think ultimately I, I would like to see CMYK do more of that, which um, I, can, I can probably see that happening. Hmm. Um, I know who uh, who you are and I know what CMYK believes in and that is outreach yep. and that is loving our neighbor you know cool thanks man thank you this for having is me.
this is so good on so many levels, and uh, I, I'm truly honored to continue to know you and uh, glean wisdom from you and insight from you, and and uh, so I hope you know that I love you and that I'm for you and with you, and um, really appreciate you being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks. I told you, I told you at the beginning of this podcast, it was going to be good. It was going to be worth it, that, that this was a beautiful man. And uh, I think that you probably, obviously, you're towards the end of the podcast now, you know, have felt and heard uh, the beauty and significance of this man and his story that uh, matters so much. As we kind of wrap things up today, I've been thinking about something that uh, really came to my mind and heart in the conversation that, that uh, Joseph and I had that... I, th- I thought I'd just share something that actually is something I've been maybe thinking about sharing for a while. It's this moment within the scriptures that um, maybe you've heard of, maybe you've passed over before, but it's it's something that's so significant and profound, and I think it connects so much to Joseph's story, but even more than that, potentially to all of our stories as a whole, which I think is why it's potentially within the scriptures and meant for us to kind of find some relevance and significance in. It's a story in the very beginning of the church. So Christ has come, died, buried, resurrected, and goes, ascends back to heaven, and these communities of people start to gather known as the church. And they're just trying to figure some things out. This is very, very like beta stage of the church, very, very early within this thing that nobody really understands and knows what this is supposed to look like or how it's actually going to be. They're just kind of figuring it out as they go. And there's this story in Acts chapter 8 about a leader within the church, a significant guy named Philip. And in Acts chapter 8, starting verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to this guy, this church leader, Philip, he said, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And so this story starts out with a nudge, an urge, a voice, if you will, potentially, that Philip hears that says this is where he's supposed to go. He's got this idea of where he needs to head his life in this moment. So it says that he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian. And this Ethiopian wasn't just any Ethiopian. The writer of Acts says that he was a eunuch. He was also a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So this guy, this Ethiopian, has got a lot going on for him and in his life. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And it's in this moment, verse 29, it says that the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now this is a fascinating interaction that's about to happen. Because Philip is this Jewish man, leader within the church, and within that, there are some customs and traditions of who you engage and who you do not engage, who you join and who you don't join, because you have your tribe, and this is how you're supposed to go about things. And this guy in the chariot You could probably tell by the description of him in Acts, he's not your traditional Jewish man that should be, that would be found within these communities of people. He's an Ethiopian, which means he's dark skinned. And it's very clear that he does not fit in within the Jewish tradition customs. On top of that, he's a ranking official of another country. He comes from a different place that is not Israel, that is not their family. And to top it all off, it says that he's a eunuch, which means 
He's living a castrated life. There is something different about his sexuality than what is traditional within Judaism. So this guy is not your typical guy, but all of a sudden, the Spirit, remember, the Spirit of God is what's instigating all of this, says, go over and join this chariot. So Philip engages with this guy, and the picture is essentially Philip is running beside the chariot as the chariot continues to go down the road, and they start to have this conversation about what this Ethiopian eunuch is reading in Isaiah. And he's got some questions, and it's in that moment that Philip is able to kind of interpret or talk about what he sees Isaiah talking about in that moment. And out of this conversation comes this these thoughts and ideas about who Jesus was, because remember, Jesus was just around, what he did and what his death, burial, and resurrection meant, and kind of what this new thing called the church was all about, this idea of good news, the gospel for humanity and the world around. And so Philip is having this conversation, and the eunuch is all in. And it says this after this conversation, in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 36, it says, as they were going along, along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see... Here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, baptism is this incredibly strong symbol throughout the history of the church that shows the commitment of that person being immersed in water to that community and to the faith, and that the reverse was happening as well, that the community was committing to that person, that they were now a part of the family. It was a strong, important thing within the church and still is in many ways. And so here is this eunuch that sees this water and says, what prevents me from being fully engaged, fully a part of the family where I see you and you see me and we're on the same level and we're on the same playing field as everybody else? What prevents me from being baptized? And this is a moment like if, if we understood culturally what's happening in this moment, this is almost comedic, this question. Because the reality is, is here's a guy that up to this point in this story, he asks this question, what prevents me? And there's been so many things that have been talked about, about what would prevent him from being baptized, what would prevent him from being fully in the fold of this thing known as the church and Christianity within these traditions. Because he's black He's a different race. This was a big deal. On top of that, he's an Ethiopian. He's a different nationality, and he works for this different nationality that is not a part of their fold and their country and working to see Israel restored the way that they want to see him. He's on the outside on that level as well. And last but definitely not least, again, he's a eunuch. There's a different thing about his sexuality than everybody else around in many ways. He's in the minority within his sexuality. So you want to know what would prevent you? <laughs> from being baptized, like everything about who you are would be the most knee-jerk, natural response in this moment. That's the way this story is set up. But what ends up happening is not that. It says, continuing on, that Philip, he doesn't say a word. He doesn't choose to address his culture and say, well, we got to address some things culturally and how you view the world and how you're going to go about things. He doesn't address his commitment to the nation of Israel and his nationalism towards Ethiopia, and we really got to get you on the same page nationally and politically because that's what matters here. And Philip doesn't even in that moment bring up his sexuality to say that we need to fix it. Even though, 
just as a side note, to be a eunuch, even in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, it says, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off or a eunuch shall enter the assembly of the Lord. There's clear language in the Old Testament that states this guy would not be welcome within this community. But even in this moment, Philip does not bring up his sexuality. This is the immediate response of this moment. It says that he, this eunuch, commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. For me, I think because of Joseph's story that he shared in looking at this text, it invites me once again to ask a couple questions. First and foremost, this question that the eunuch asks of what's preventing me, what's inhibiting me from immersing myself in this good news, in this beautiful way to interact with the world and people and stuff around me. And to see that this is a question that I wrestle with at times, and I think many of us, if not all of us do at times, that we feel like there are things in our past of who we are, whether it's physically or sexuality, places that we've been, that we want to discredit ourselves from the ability to immerse ourselves fully in this thing called life, this invitation of Christ, or to immerse ourselves fully into a community of people to find love and embrace and see ourselves on the same level as everybody in that room or in that place, because we want to discredit our stories, discredit ourselves and hold up other people and say, that's what winning looks like and I'm not that, I'm just a loser or whatever word that you would bring for yourself. And to see that this story of Christ is one that there's, there's nothing that gets in the way that you can fully engage and fully immerse yourself in this beautiful way. But secondly, I think there's an invitation also to ask myself the question of, am I playing the role of Philip? Because Philip is doing this thing, again, that's led by the Spirit, led by this God, to interact with this person that's on the outside and is not spending his time and energy trying to say, well, get all these things fixed, and then you can come in, and then you're welcomed to this table. No, it's Philip getting in the water with this Ethiopian eunuch and saying, we're in this together, welcome You're on the same level. You're now a part of this thing to accept this invitation. And to live my life as one that is engaging those outside of myself and seeing that we're on the same level and that we're all welcome to the same table. And I'm actually getting in the water, if you will, with these people in this immersion. I'm not separating myself, but I'm working to find myself alongside whoever they are and whatever story and life they carry. Because there's full embrace, affirmation, and acceptance here. So for you, as we wrap this thing up, what are the things that you're holding up and saying, man, this is prohibiting me. This is why I can't engage. May you know that there's this divine presence, this love, this God, who is not holding anything up but it's simply saying, come, you're welcome here. You're on the same level here. 
And may you be one that is finding those outside of yourself and working to not separate, not working to point out all the reasons why not, but to find all the reasons and to see all the reasons why we can get in the same water and be immersed in this same beautiful thing called life in a beautiful way. This is what Christ, this is what the church was and is to be about. I hope you have a great week, and I hope that uh, you continue to tune in because we got another great story coming up next week. I love you. If there's anything that we can do for you, please reach out. Let us know. We're here for you.